Hey, it's Ralph here. Q1 is now closing and it probably didn't go as well as you had hoped, but I'm sure your agency is probably telling you that they crushed it. But in reality, it crushed you. If your agency isn't on the same page as you are, if there's something wrong, but you can't quite put your finger on what that thing is, go on over to tier11.com forward slash apply. It will set you up on a call to show you a better way to look at your business, not just metrics that make us agencies look good, but something that actually moves the needle and makes you more money, acquires more new customers, and ultimately achieves your vision. Head on over to tier11.com forward slash apply today. Hello and welcome to the Perpetual Traffic Podcast. This is your host, Ralph Burns, and this is the show where we share cutting-edge strategies on acquiring leads and sales to acquire more customers for your business through traffic. And on this episode, pretty excited about this. This is going to be a new series we're going to be doing, uh, not maybe every week, but let us know if you like it or not. We're basically taking the best nuggets that we can possibly find in the archives of perpetual traffic. The nuggets that are the things that you can immediately implement, you listen, you go do it, and all of a sudden, your list starts growing, your cost per lead drops, your cost per acquisition drops, you get more customers, you grow your business. And these nuggets are from some of the smartest people in the digital marketing space, and maybe even a few from myself and my co-host, Kasim. But these are called Nugget Episodes. So we're going to be doing these on a regular basis and uh, hope you enjoy them. They're just bite-sized pieces of little things that you can use today and uh, help you scale and grow. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. You're listening to Perpetual Traffic. Well, there is no question that when it comes to influence and persuasion in digital marketing, no one, and I mean no one, commands more respect than Dr. Robert Cialdini. If you have never read his books, Influence and Persuasion, I swear you are missing so much in your digital marketing, not only as an influencer and an advertiser, but as just a great marketer. And that's why I'm so excited to invite you to a free webinar where he'll be sharing his latest insights on new e-commerce strategies. Now, alongside Dr. Cialdini, you'll learn from Bass Wouters and the authors of Reputation King, my buddy Scott Branley and DJ Sprague. Attendees will absolutely be able to understand exactly how to gain a competitive edge in the marketplace by leveraging online reputation management. Now, that's something that we haven't talked about here on this show all that much. And it's more reason for you to register for the webinar here, which is completely free over at reputationking.com forward slash PT. So join us on April 18th from 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern. That's 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Pacific for you West Coasters by registering at reputationking.com forward slash PT. Once again, that's reputationking.com forward slash PT. Cialdini has been a huge influence on me. And I can't wait to see how his new e-commerce strategies resonate with you and how they affect your business in a positive way using reputation management. Make sure that you register for the April 18th free webinar at reputationking.com forward slash PT. Nuggets. Ever since I got the hang of Google ads a couple of years ago. I learned something from John Moran. Maybe he coined it. I don't know. Called the stair step method. 
and it is proven to work. And so this whole time, as I've kind of moved around in the company, I start learning more and more strategy. Strategy is great. Strategy is important, but none of it matters if you're not doing the stair set method, in my opinion. Your overall company growth will be impacted by the stair set method 10 times what these tiny little strategic tweaks can do. And so I'll kind of break down what the stair set method is. I 4X'd the business year over year. I pretty much didn't even do that many other strategies in that account besides the stair step method. This was an e-commerce company, but I think it works across the board no matter what you're selling. So basically the stair step method in a nutshell is where you overpace your budget and then underpace your budget. And so when you overpace, you want to make sure you don't have anything restricting the algorithm from learning because overpacing kind of puts the algorithm into a learning phase, right? So you're going to remove TROAS, remove TCPA, that type of thing, push more budget in. And the algorithm, I call it taking the algorithm to the gym. The algorithm is going to kind of go out and look for new things and new people to try with this new budget. So you're doing a mini learning phase to grow the algorithm muscle. Then you pull back because you got to hit your goals. You got to get that return. You got to lower the CPA, raise the ROAS, whatever metric you're going after, you lower the spend. And you can do these mini pushes and mini pullbacks within a calendar month. Like if you have to show that you're hitting a certain return in calendar month, but you still have to grow the algorithm in a calendar month. You don't want it to get complacent and think this is the box within which I live and now I'm going to perform within this box. And so you give it excess budget so it goes out and learns. And then you restrict the budget so it uses that learning in order to increase efficiency. Yep, exactly. Yeah. And And what's the timeline like here? You said within a calendar month. So does that mean 1st through the 15th is the overpace and 15th through the 30th is the pullback or does it depend on the account? (laughs) So... Good question. It's easy to talk about. It's harder to actually implement. So one week one would be overpace 20%. Week two would be overpace 40%. Week three would be pullback a lot. Like depending on how far you are from the goal you need to hit, pull back as much as you need to. And then week four would be, hey, maybe you need to pull back some more on the spend. Maybe you even need to consider applying a restriction on the algorithm like TROAS or TCPA for a week. The biggest mistake that people make with the stair step method is they apply the target ROAS or target CPA, which restricts the algorithm. And then they try to overpace and they think, why is the algorithm not spending its full budget? Or if it is spending its full budget, why is the algorithm not growing as a muscle over time? It's because you can't learn when this TCPA and the TROAS is applied. And people just leave that on forever. Can't grow that way. What we want to do instead is open the Komodo, as it were, and share everything that we've learned about running small ad spend accounts. Because we'd never done that before, really. And so Regina's kind of the resident expert now on, here's what works, here's what doesn't, here are the pitfalls, here are the big mistakes, here's what to look out for. So Regina, where would you want to start? Do you want to start with what works, or do you want to start with what to be aware of? Let's start with what to be aware of. Okay, I think that's a good place to start. So big mistakes, and maybe let's define terms. We're calling a shoestring budget anything under five grand a month. Yes. And what's the average budget we're dealing with? Is it like 3K a month, 2K a month? What's. Yeah, most people come in with 1,500 to 2,500, honestly. And then our goal is to try to grow them to 5K so that they can then get access to the Solutions 8 incubator program. We're just trying to grow them the first few thousand. But when you have less budget to work with, the algorithm has trouble optimizing. And so growth is slower. The algorithm needs to see that and go out and do more of that. And your margins are just thinner when you're small. The competitors 
They've figured out all the upsells, all the long lifetime value, how to raise their average order value, bells and whistles on their website. Small businesses oftentimes are just working with smaller margins, unfortunately. Yeah. So we have clients anywhere from 1500 bucks to $2,500 all the way up to five grand, which at 1500 that really is shoestring. What's the lowest budget you've dealt with so far? A couple of clients have come in with $500 budgets. It's not impossible, but I would say in every instance, we've gone to them and explained that if they're willing to just start with a thousand, <laughs> they'll probably find that it's worth it, that we can get them up and running a lot faster than we could on 500. And it, it kind of just depends on what the CPCs are in that agency, the cost per clicks, because if you take the budget and you divide it by cost per click, you know, divide it by days, 30 days in a month, then you divide that by the cost per click, you'll see how many clicks you're going to get every day. And then you have to think, okay, if the algorithm is only going to see nine clicks a day, how many people are going to convert one a week? So let's say we're talking about $1,000 a month. Take your budget, divide it by 30. That gives us $33 a day. And then divide that daily budget by your potential CPC, which you can go get in Google's keyword planner. How much can we teach Google on two clicks a day? If you're service-based, you're on a $500 budget, $15 CPCs, you might get four conversions a month. Only three of those are actual high-quality leads. So you throw one out the window. Well, the algorithm's not working with many averages. A workaround to turn Performance Max back into smart shopping while calling it Performance Max. It's really great. We even have some additional insights that I think were not available in smart shopping. So it's kind of a bump up. So when, when we first started running, working with small budgets at Starter PPC, we were running full Performance Max campaigns. Performance Max has something called asset groups inside of it, right? So asset groups are filled with creative assets. You want to feed it with videos and images and ad copy, and you want to put it into buckets full of creative assets. And the more you have, the merrier. And then with all those creative assets, Google goes out and does a ton of top of funnel activities because Performance Max, that's their whole thing with Performance Max, right? Google says, we're going to go after 80% new business. We're not going to spend all the money on remarketing. So they use those asset groups to do a lot of top of funnel type activities. And then there's also a shopping feed. There's a feed full of products, right? With all your product titles, your product IDs, and that's in the campaign as well. So it does everything. Performance Max does shopping network, display network, Gmail network, video networks, <laughs> YouTube networks. I say we do want to do a little bit of top of funnel activities because the top of funnel activities can and do feed bottom of funnel activities. Bottom of funnel would be something like shopping network, right? If you're an e-commerce company, you want to show a shopping ad because someone is probably looking for that product. They're probably going to go to Google Shopping and they're probably going to view a bunch of different similar products and they're going to buy from there. If you split the Performance Max campaign into asset groups only without a product feed at all in there and then separate Pmax campaign for product feed only, which I like to call shopping only because that's really all it does is it shows your shopping ads. And to be clear, you build a Performance Max campaign, you give Performance Max your feed and nothing else. Correct. We literally so you're don't restricting even give it. the assets it has available to it. Exactly. We don't even give it ad copy. We don't even set up an asset group. You have to use the Google Ads editor to kind of build that shopping only campaign and then push it into Google because if you try to build it directly into Google Ads, it will force you to make an asset group. Here's a quick thought experiment that we can run together. If you're a business, 
It doesn't matter. If you're a business and you're about to go under and you have 90 days left and you have insert any amount of money here, if you have 10 grand or 100 grand, where do you put it? The answer is Google. So if you're running Google Ads campaigns, especially if you're not an agency or Google Ads manager, let me flip over to just, I just run Google Ads for my business. What could potentially happen to you is every competitor you've ever had is going to rush into Google in order to try to capture as much market share as they can just for survivability. And they're going to be bidding in a way that isn't sustainable, but they're going to be doing that by attention because in a lot of ways it's like, look, I don't need to make money. I just need to break even. I just need to move product. I just need cash flow. I just need to keep my people busy. One of my clients, he's the sixth largest employer in Arizona, I think, and he does commercial and residential contracting. And he said for years they were doing deals at cost or sometimes at a loss just because he knew if he didn't take on the deals, he wouldn't have a cruise. And when the economy came back, he wouldn't have anybody left to build. And talent was such a difficult thing for him to attract. Journeyman Carpenter, if you're talking about the skilled trades, those are tough folks to get a hold of, more and more so now. And he understood that. And so he was building buildings at a loss in order to just keep his people busy. Imagine advertising against him. He doesn't need positive ROI. He needs something else. And that's the environment you get pushed into. There's a software application called PPC Ad Lab. And what's cool about PPC Ad Lab is for like no money too. It's super cheap. It's 50 bucks a month. You can tell the software what search terms you want to monitor. So you can see who's bidding on the phrase, how many people are bidding on the phrase, what their ad copy looks like. And at some point, I don't think this is built in yet, but Rob told me that they're actually going to build in the ability to see what people are spending, roughly speaking, because you can extrapolate that based off of the number of advertisers that are shown. So if you want to spy on your competitors or on a competitive market, go check out PPC Ad Lab because the data gives you a heat map and helps you kind of helps you figure out what's working for your competitors. That's my nugget. If you want to go spy on your competitors, I think this is one of the best tools I've ever seen. How do you know that your team or your agency is actually doing a good job? Are they getting as much juice as they possibly can out of your campaigns? And Kasim's going to go through that. Take us through this thing. So let's say I'm auditing a campaign. The very first thing that I need to know is that I can trust the data. I actually have a Google Ads campaign open right now. In the top right-hand corner of your Google Ads account, you will see tools and settings. I go to tools and settings, and then under measurement, which is the, the categorical column here, I'm going to select conversions. I'd say half of all campaigns I see have either inadequate or no conversion tracking. If a campaign Seriously? has inadequate... Oh, dude, it's unbelievable. Ralph? I've seen campaigns from major agencies come across with completely broken conversion tracking that's been broken for 60 days and they haven't caught it. It's unbelievable. It blows me away. I'm in the conversion column and here's what I'm looking for. Each of the conversion actions has a label. It's either a primary conversion action or a secondary conversion action. According to Google, and this is, I think they're lying by the way, but according to Google, primary conversion actions are used for optimization. Secondary conversion actions are not used for optimization. They're only used for observation. Now, quick aside, I think that Google actually uses secondary conversion actions when they don't have any other data. So I do think that they're used as predictive indications of conversion intent. But that said, let's assume that Google's telling the truth for this particular instance. One of the things that I see all the time are people using add to cart, for instance, as a primary conversion action. 
or begin checkout or view page. Initiate checkout. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, initiate checkout is a primary conversion action, which means every single time somebody hits the initiate checkout button, you said, oh, Google, we sold something. And so people come in thinking like, oh, I have a 1200% ROAS. And I'm like, no, you don't. You have a 300% ROAS that you're counting four times. This is especially pervasive with old Shopify stores because Shopify's old integration used to push all their conversions through, but they all be listed as primary. So that's issue number one that I see. Issue number two is you want to make that's sure... That's like basic, that's like table stakes right there. Make you sure you're fast. targeting the right conversion. Make sure the pixel is firing on the right thing that you actually want. We check the conversion every month for all of the campaigns that we manage, our team goes through and checks conversion actions for every month at a minimum. And that's for low spend accounts. For high spend accounts, we'll check daily because yeah. your conversion tracking breaks all the time. Conversion tracking will break if you change a page, change a header, change a code, theme update, WordPress update, Shopify update, anything that could break, you know, a pixel is a pixel. It's a one pixel by one pixel piece of code. Anything that can break a po- code can break conversion tracking. Adding pages, changing your URL string, changing syntax, All that stuff breaks conversion tracking all the time. You want to make sure that your primary conversion action is actually something that you want. That's really important. That's number one. Number two, note the conversion source. If you're looking at your conversions page, we haven't moved pages. Just to refresh, you've gone to tools and settings and under measurement, you've selected conversions. I'm looking at the various conversion actions that have been created and there's multiple columns. There's the name of the conversion action. There's the action optimization, which is primary or secondary. And then there's conversion source. In conversion source, you'll see conversion source being Google Analytics many times, especially if an agency built it. You don't want to use Google Analytics as your primary conversion source. It actually should be a secondary source. You want to reconcile against analytics. But analytics is entirely last-click attributed, and it drops conversions more often than standard conversion tracking via Google Ads through Tag Manager. So your conversion source in an ideal world will say website, and then that conversion source is Google ads tracking installed via Tag Manager. Once I'm happy with my conversion source, the next thing I do is the account that I'm looking at right now, I've got the last 30 days selected, and I'll take the all conversion value. So in this particular account, which is just one that I pulled at random, they have $97,573. So I take that all conversion value and I divide it by the all conversions, which is 55. So I took this 97,573 divided by 55, and this gives me a $1,774 average order value. What I just did was made, I made this company sells a type of appliance, a large appliance. I just wanted to make sure that their average order value makes sense. Because if you sell cell phone cases, for instance, and I see an $1,800 AOV, I know something's wrong, which happens all the time. So go make sure that the AOV, this is just a quick napkin math check to say like, hey, are we actually tracking most conversions properly as they're being tracked? So does the AOV make sense? And this is what's really interesting. It's actually a lot of fun. If you're tracking an analytics as a secondary source to reconcile against, you'll see that analytics, generally speaking, is about 20 to 30% off in either direction, depending on how the tracking is set up. And 20 to 30% might be high, depending on what it is that we're talking about. But I mean, even a 10% variance can be significant with Google Ads. The other thing that I like to look at are the type of conversions that people are using. This particular account has imported leads. I like seeing imported conversion actions because it tells me, oh, you're taking offline data, putting it back into Google. That's probably healthier, cleaner data. What I don't love seeing are phone call leads. Phone call leads from a third-party source are going to come in as imported. So like if you're using call tracking metrics, 
or call rail or go high level and importing them, that's actually not a phone call lead. That's an imported lead. If you're using Google's phone call mechanism, call from ads, then it says phone call leads. And I hate phone call leads because if somebody calls you, Google says it's a lead. That means all solicitors, competitors, clients, wrong numbers, spammers, all of those, those are all leads. And now you have a bunch of false positives that you're optimizing for. So is it safe to say if you imported leads and you compare it to phone leads, you might want to see like phone leads being higher than imported leads? So it's a really good question. The phone leads don't give you the opportunity to distill. So you can't separate the phone leads and say this good, this bad. So what I like to do is not track phone leads at all track all my phone calls and call tracking metrics. We have a team that we do this for all of our clients. They listen to the phone calls, manually score them, and only import the quality calls. I know that sounds tedious. It's so important. It's why our campaigns outperform everybody else's campaigns from a lead generation perspective, because all the other agencies are saying, oh yeah, phone call lasts over 45 seconds. That's a lead. No, it's not. Only 10% stay on the page for 10 to 20 seconds at minimum. Gather the accurate data that actually matters. Your numbers might not look as good, but you're actually doing what you were paid to do, which is help scale and grow the business. The last thing that I'll do is I'll start to zoom out on dates. So right now I'm looking at the last 30 days. I might look at the last 90. I might look at you know the year to date. And I'm doing that because I want to see what changes in conversion tracking have taken place. Like if I go calculate my AOV again, is this going to change? You know, like what maybe all conversions dropped or, or don't keep up with conversion value or a conversion action is new. And I didn't realize that it was just recently imported. That'll also change the way that I'm auditing a campaign. If you've changed conversion actions entirely and you did that 60 days ago, well, I'm going to look at the last 60 days as opposed to the last 90, 120, et cetera. So when you're auditing in a campaign, make sure you know what conversion actions you're looking at. This is really good. I will say that I can't overstate the importance of this. Obviously, this is the first step that we do because we realize that we've seen so many campaigns and especially the Facebook side where the pixel doesn't fire or there's issues with it. Doesn't matter if it's Google, Facebook, Snapchat, TikTok, Pinterest, LinkedIn. This is the first thing that you need to check because it breaks all the time. At the very least, know where to go. And this is the first thing that you got to do. And then just do some rough math. None of the other things that we talk about on today's show or the things that you would do for an audit and game plan for your would-be customers matters unless you have this right to begin with. Now that I know my conversion tracking is intact and I know what the lay of the land looks like, I'm going to go back. So there's an arrow in the top left-hand corner that allows you to go back. I'm going to leave all campaign all campaigns selected. So Google has two vertical menus. There's a dark gray menu and a light gray menu. In the dark gray menu, I'm going to select all campaigns. And then in the light gray menu, I'm going to select campaigns again. So now what I'm looking at is every single campaign that's in the account. And again, I'm going broad view. We're not going to do a deep dive because we don't have time for that. I'm going to make sure that my date range is set properly real quick. This for me is a real quick overview. So I'm going to start broad. So I've got year to date. I've got January 1 of this year all the way through today. And then there's usually a graph is shown. If it's not, there's a little arrow that allows you to spike the graph. But I always want to make sure that the graph is showing me clicks and conversions. And the first little drop down that you can select shows clicks. And then the next one, I'm going to show conversions. And I'm just going to show the general all conversions. And what this does is you want to see what the correlation is between clicks and conversions. It'll also give you a time lag. The other thing that I'm looking for are crazy dissimilarities. If you get a bunch of clicks and no conversions, well, now I know, wait a minute, something's not performing. Maybe the targeting is wrong. The ad copy is bad. If you get a bunch of conversions and you're, you're operating off of very little clicks, I might dig into where you're spending, what the campaign was doing, et cetera. But this kind of gives me a sense as to where I want to go. And at the top of the grid, 
you're going to see campaign status. Usually, sometimes you'll see this at the very top of the page. I'm only going to look at enabled campaigns. I'm not going to look at past campaigns for my broad overview. And now that I'm looking at enabled campaigns, I want to look at the performance of those campaigns. So the first thing that I'll do is under segment, you can go to conversions and segment by conversion action. I do this when there are a ton of conversion actions because I want to see which conversion action is being used for each individual campaign and the value being attributed to those conversion actions. I realize I'm going a little fast. If you're listening to this, make sure you're following along. It'll make more sense if you're following along. In the campaign view, there's a collection of menus that appear right under the graph. There's search, segment, columns, reports, downloads, expand. Go to segment, conversions, and then select conversion action. And what this will do is it'll open up kind of a bullet pointed list under every individual campaign showing you all of the enabled conversion actions and the value attributed to those actions. So those of you listening at home, we are inside the Google Ads MCC. You've got access to this individual account. You're doing the audit. This is all campaigns where we're on the left-hand side. You click on that and then you're inside campaigns. And what you've done is on the graph on the top, you've selected for clicks and conversions, the graph part that we just discussed. And now you're basically breaking things down inside the segment individually and comparing conversions. So the key, key understanding is making sure that you're tracking first off, and now we're going into campaigns. I generally don't leave the segmentation enabled if it's not relevant to my analysis. If I see two conversion actions, one that I trust and one that I don't, I'll leave it enabled because now I'm going to show the client, hey, you're over-reporting, for instance. If it's not relevant, then I'll select segment again and I'll remove those segments because it, it really messes up the view. And now what I want to do is I want to look at overall performance of these campaigns. So in order to do that, we're going to go back to that middle toolbar right under the graph and you're going to select columns. And under columns, you're going to select conversions. And you basically want the entirety of this top row. So I've got conversions, cost per conversion, conversion rate, conversion value, conversion value over cost. This is the most important one. This is ROAS. I'm not a big fan of ROAS, by the way. I prefer CAC. But at a glance, ROAS is an indication of CAC. Do conversion value over click. Customer acquisition cost, for those of you who are not familiar with CAC. And then what I might also do is conversions by conversion time if there's a long time lag, because this will show us a close representation of how much money we're actually making in real time. So now that I've got these one, two, three, four, five, six enabled, and I'll say them again, conversions, cost of conversion, conversion rate, conversion value, conversion value over cost, and conversions by conversion time, I select apply, and I can jump in here and I can see right out of the gate, I've got a performance max campaign running at a 5.32 conversion value over cost, which means a 532% ROAS. That's awesome. I noticed you did not select the smart shopping one, but well, you wanted to go into the performance max because that's top of funnel, right? Right. And to the point that you just yep. made, I know smart shopping's been deprecated and going to ultimately be replaced, but that's got a 9.89 conversion value over conversion cost. So they've got, in aggregate, they've got a 6.43. What a well-performing campaign. For every single campaign, I'm going to go look at campaign settings. Now, the campaign settings are going to be campaign specific. For performance max, what I want to see are budget and bidding. What are you spending and what are you bidding? So this campaign is spending $200 a day. Now here's a problem. They have a T-ROAS set at 800%. I bet you the five, three that they're getting could be higher. They're asking Google for 40% more than what they're getting, which means they're limiting learning. If you took this T-ROAS off, this campaign would scale way better. So target you know, ROAS is T-ROAS. 
Yep. Got it. It's- so they have it set at 800, and that's limiting the scale of the campaigns. You're asking Google you're for a lot here, man. You're saying, hey, go get me people that are spending, spending a lot. And by the way, I want to get it 800% ROAS. So we are going through the Google MCC ad account here with Cosm and going through campaign as well as conversion tracking. What do you see inside the account here where people really go wrong and how we can help them out? One of the things I see a lot of is over-segmentation. And this is true. If you've got a really good ads manager who's older, <laughs> like me, and has been doing this for longer than two, three, four, five years, which in Google years, that's 50 years in Google years, they're used to massive segmentation. One of the mistakes that I see is they have two Performance Max campaigns running, and you'll notice that they've separated them by product. Here's the problem. Performance Max and Smart Shopping both and are very incestuous. They cross-pollinate way more often than advertisers realize the product that somebody clicks on isn't the product that they buy. And the campaign and asset group that get the click, that's the campaign and or asset group that gets the remarketing. Well, if I click on product A and buy product B, but you've separated products A and B into two separate campaigns, now that cross-pollination isn't going to take place and you're killing what Google calls the path to purchase. Now, it's okay to spin off separate campaigns once you've learned what your path to purchase is and you're very, very clear on that. Chances are, forgive me for sounding arrogant, unless you're working with a very high-end team, you haven't done that. And if you come in here and see a lot of segmentation, you're killing the cross-pollination potential. You're sabotaging yourself. That's exactly right. Yeah. You want all your products in one campaign so Google can go learn who buys what. And that's why Performance Max is built. But Performance Max aside, you're going to want that inside of your old smart shopping campaigns. I do believe in segmentation is in search. If you have search campaigns, make sure those are segmented categorically, obviously. you know. And, and one thing that I'll look at, let's see if they've got a search campaign running. If they've got a search campaign running, one of the things I do is I hop into the search campaign and under keywords, I look at their search terms and make sure that their search terms match their keywords. You should run a brand campaign, but you should know that your brand campaign is running. And looking at this particular client, if you're running this much smart shopping and this much Pmax, you're getting hundreds of thousands, if not millions of impressions given this client spend. If you're not running a brand campaign, you're A, missing out on some of those conversions and B, inhibiting Google's ability to track the full life cycle of the purchase. So that's another And brand is simply names of their products, names of the company, separating it out in a separate campaign is what you're saying. That's exactly right. Exact match. You want to do exact match because exact match is the only thing, according to Google, that can get prioritized over Performance Max. And even then, I've got proof. We've got 170 some odd campaigns running where Performance Max steals from exact match search. But exact match search is the only the only safe campaign from Pmax. Got it. Really makes sense. So simplicity here and letting go of this tendency and sort of old school mindset of which me and you are part of that for sure, segment everything out. They have to control every aspect of the campaign. Ralph, I actually just made a mistake myself that I'm going to egg on my face. If you go to the bottom right-hand corner of the campaign view, it only shows the first 10 campaigns. What I needed to do was come down. (laughs) So we weren't even seeing them. We weren't even seeing everything. And now that I've opened it up, look at how many freaking Pmax campaigns they have running. This is insane. This is insane. They do have a brand search campaign. For those of you listening at home, make sure that when you do go to the campaigns tab, we're inside all campaigns, click over to campaigns, and then you go way down to the bottom, show 
how many rows? I think All we had rows. 10 rows selected. Yeah. Make sure you're only looking at your enabled campaigns because if you have a really active account, this could get real messy. And then I, of course, the other thing I should have said is when I'm auditing, I sort by cost because I'm going to look at the campaigns that you're spending the most money on when I begin my audit. Right. So you're going a broader view here, like last 90 days to start. You're going from the first of the year, really. And then probably the next step, like this is giving you a very broad outline of exactly what they've done in the last six to seven months. And then at some point, you would probably go to maybe 30 days, maybe 14, seven days, sort of see what the trends are recently. Like, why did they contact you guys kind of thing? Like something has happened here. We see this all the time. You know, oh, everything was great like a year or so ago. And there's a pain point. Those are the campaign audits. We do this at Solutions 8 and we do it for free. If you qualify, you can go to solate.com and uh, apply for a free action plan. I hope you don't mind the plug. You've been listening to Perpetual Traffic, 